0: This reading comes from the very first words of the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark, as far as scholars are able to ascertain, is the first Gospel that we have that was was first written. The earliest Gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah... See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptised you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. One of the critical voices of speaking into the book The Lord of the Rings, which is one of the great novels of the 20th century, that comes up over and over again, is there something about that book That gives you a sense that you're reading into a world that already exists. That it's not just sort of beginning at the beginning and ending at the end, but there's a whole world prior to it that we don't have access to. And in fact, the Tolkien Estate has been releasing writings of Tolkien about other issues within the Lord of the Rings and around it for years. And there was an announcement in the press the other day they're going to release another one uh, in 2021. And it'll be little essays about uh, why elves are the way they are physically, why dwarves have beards. He wrote voluminous amounts of stuff about Middle Earth. We've only got uh, Lord of the Rings. We've got The Hobbit and we've got The Silmarillion and, and other things now. But there's this whole world going on. And there's something about Mark's Gospel that's a little bit the same. It's as if we're sort of tapping into something that's been ongoing forever and will go on forever. Remember the other Gospels all begin with something about where Jesus comes from and who he is. The Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of John, in all different ways, give us something of the Christmas story. And if you're here Christmas Eve, we will hopefully, if we're still able to meet, we will will hear some of those uh, origin stories. But we never hear the origin story from Mark because there isn't one. This is what we get. But it begins with the word that the great story that the Jews carry with them all this time begins. The beginning. In the beginning, Mark begins the beginning And this is a novel. uh, This is a a, a, sorry, a gospel that will make novel claims, radical claims. But it begins with a reminder that this is the way God has always been present in the world. If you're a good Jew listening to this, the language is the same. Beginning. So whatever's going to happen in this gospel, and strange things will happen. It's somehow part of the great universal story. This is just a sort of a fragment of it. And to underline that, we get information about John, what he wore and what he ate, which is not common in the Gospels. We don't know much about what anybody else wore. But, of course, the reason we know what John wears is because he is, in this Gospel, a prophet. He's like the prophet's of the old ways. He's like the prophets that would come and bother people all the time, all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures. The prophets are bothering those, particularly those in power, those who felt they knew what to do, those who thought they had the imprimatur as to how to do things. Prophets were outside of the structure, and this one was in the desert, physically outside of everything. It would be like someone today turning up at Parliament House dressed as Ned Kelly, it's this juxtaposition of this person is obviously trying to make some sort of a point that's much more different than, than what we're used to. He is, whether you think Ned Kelly was a folk hero or just a crook, he, was, he represents something in Australian society. And if you stick a tin hat on, you, you're beginning to make a political statement. So a man turning up dressed in camel skin with a leather belt is making a massive statement about the work of God that's already been going on since the universe began and all the way through our great cultural story, if we're Jews, through Elijah, the great prophet. And here we are now. No wonder people are paying attention. But it's not John coming as this kind of Elijah-type prophet figure. He's not harking back for the good old days. He's not trying to make Judea great again. It's not, it's not what he's about. You know, in the old days, it was so much better. There wasn't this and there was that, and, and he's not trying to do that at all. He's not trying to be sort of a John Howard with his white picket fence ideas from the late 80s when he was first leader of the opposition before his successful term as prime minister. Because this begins in the beginning... Oh, sorry, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the son of God. It's an extraordinary set of statements. If you saw this week's little article in the in the Clayton, I tried to spell some of that out. Good news is the statement, the announcement that you make when you are making an official statement that you want everybody to hear, but it's going to be good news if you happen to be a Roman citizen, maybe not so good news if you happen to be a slave. It's the good news, it's an announcement. And that this person, this Jesus, who nobody knows anything about, there's nothing about him. Later on it says he comes from Nazareth. Whew, that's a big deal. You know, like that's not really an imprimatur, is it? It's not really a kind of... uh, He he comes from Hicksville. That's all we know about him. But right at the beginning it says he's Messiah. Messiahs were anointed. They were given the imprimatur by, by the whole culture and by those in authority you got you didn't get to be messiah just cuz you wanted to be you had to be chosen go through a system we have ways of doing these things kings were messiah sometimes great uh, religious leaders was messiah they were given this special kind of anointing but here's this guy and not only that but he's called son of god in the first sentence there's only one son of god and that's the caesar Augustus, who sort of styled himself as very kind of godlike for a while, and then, well, actually, more than godlike, actually kind of invested in and connected to the gods. In fact, well, a son of God. And Augustus was son of God, and so the Caesars thought, well, that's great, after he's gone, they're all sons of God, they're all divine. And here's this guy, this nobody, Because if you're a son of God, that means you're in charge. That means you get to make the decisions. And there's only one person who gets to do that. And it's not this guy. It's, this is really shocking. Here's my attempt to try and put this into language that would make sense to us, because some of us have been in church for a long time and we've heard this over and over again. This is my attempt of verse 1. The starting point of the official press release of Layla, in brackets, a woman from Bularoo Centre or someplace up there, the authorised revolutionary commander and world president-elect. Now if I got that put on a t-shirt and walked around with it it's just nuts, isn't it? But that's kind of what's going on here. And if we've grown up, as many of us have in a church where we've been told that to be a good faithful Christian is to be a good moral person. And to be personally, sort of have a personal piety, uh, um, try not to do anything too bad to other people and try and do good things and give money and come to church. And if that's all that we've been taught, then none of this seems to make any sense at all. Because it's all about the world in which we all have to live. It's all about how we get things done. It's all about what we often call politics. Of course, it's not, there's no such thing as politics. There's only community and how we organise ourselves. Politics isn't some sort of weird thing done by weird people. It's just the way we've chosen to organise ourselves. And we're lucky in that we have to, can organise ourselves by voting for each other And some of us are hopefully doing the things we've asked them to do when we vote for them. Plenty of other times and plenty of other places where that's not possible, as we know. But this is whatever this gospel is going to be about, it's going to be about the real, ordinary stuff of the things we have to do every day. Who makes decisions and how are they made? Son of God. Who has the kind of blessing of the community? Messiah. And how is any of this going to be an announcement that makes a, a, a change in the world? Good news. Faith is not a personal interior thing that we kind of, well, you know, it's not something I like to talk about really. It's just something that... It's, yeah, of course it is that. Because if it's a real faith, you can't talk about it. Not in any way that makes any sense to anyone that's why we write poems that's why we sing songs because when you're in love with someone you can't really explain it and saying, well yes we're in love well it doesn't really cover it does it when you talk about your relationship with people that you're very close to children or parents or brothers and sisters or dear friends it's very hard to find language that works so all of those things are true but it's so much bigger than that and we know, even from this first verse, that we're going to be on this extraordinary journey. And, of course, we're going to be on it with God already present with us. That's the message of Jesus, uh, uh, the message of John as Elijah. And we're going to do a thing that John called baptism, or somebody called baptism, But it's not at all like the baptism everyone understood in John's time. And we'll deal with that next week because next week we also get a look at John the Baptist from a completely other viewpoint, a different gospel. Not completely different, but different enough to make us think wider about it. And so we're going to read about John baptising people just as we do in this gospel. But it's not at all like we've understood it. So that's a teaser, you know. Stay tuned next week and find out who did it, that kind of thing. But whatever this gospel is going to do for us, and I encourage you to read Mark's gospel, it's the shortest. It's the most dynamic. The word immediately in our English translation comes up over and over again. Immediately this happens, immediately that happens. It's kind of full of dynamism. And you get it right from this first verse because it's about a change of the whole world. That's what makes Advent this exciting moment. It's not a story of how we just hope that Christmas will be okay this year. It's a story how this year we will call again from within ourselves and from within our community for great hope and great joy. And that can only happen when we truly live in community, can't it? When everyone feels like like they can participate. This is the call that's just in even in these couple of verses. So we'll look at baptism and what John thought he was doing and what people experienced when we look at it next week thanks Dave.